A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to HIV Hope and Charity, a podcast series brought to you by TVPS, a charity that's been supporting people affected by HIV since 1985. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess and we work for TVPS and our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. If you like the podcast, please rate, subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to number two. We We both said it. Oh, jinx. (laughs) (laughs) And that set the tone for this podcast episode. Welcome to episode two of our very, very special World AIDS Day HIV Heroes HIV Hope and Charity Edition. That is the longest title ever. It it, is a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Right. So we've recovered from the first one, which was very sciencey, but very necessary. uh, Looking at Francois Bari Sanusi. Before you begin, wait, I have to, because remember you said I had to take off my science glasses because... Clearly, I because I called my brain a, a, a something rolling a mind rolling and then I realised I don't know you at all. Never heard of you. Such an expression. So I need to wear my glasses, but I've got another brilliant pair. Are you ready? Yes. I'm not sure you are ready for the joy of these. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were three pounds in the sale selection, so I had my lenses put in them. But they're quite something, aren't they? They are very much a statement glasses, aren't they? Yeah. My brother actually told me that. I, do you remember that program um, with Kathy Burke called Gimme Gimme Gimme? Yes, I used to he love that. He said I look like Linda from. You really do. Yeah, yeah. So this is what you're going to have to look at for this podcast recording. Now I am assuming that you are going to take selfies of your science glasses and your uh, Linda glasses to yes. put up on social media to accompany the episodes yes i'm gonna (laughs) that's the picture i'm going to use they're they're truly lovely glasses (laughs) not but you know what i just kind of love them for some reason they're like huge goggles i'm I'm sticking with them for this episode okay you look honestly your face i wish i could have a picture of that but you're so close to the screen just staring at them like i think you look slightly like a bush baby oh i like that though well they're quite cute aren't they with massive massive eyes it's not your eyes that are massive it's just drawing massive see massive spectacles yeah you can call me i'm like mrs goggins yes huge right <laughs> let's go shall we because i don't everybody wants to hear our discussions about your glasses for the you whole don't want to spend the whole podcast just chatting about my eyewear no we've 
got a good episode. Uh, all our episodes are good, but this one is interesting. Slightly less sciencey than the last one, but we are looking at the Berlin patient, the first person in the world to be cured of HIV. I'm so glad you're doing this um, because, again, I don't. If people have listened to our number one in the trilogy, we did Francoise, who was one of the people who helped discover the HIV virus, and she was at the International AIDS Conference, and actually, so was the Berlin patient and we got to see him in person too which is very exciting I have to say I know bits I don't know all the ins and outs of it so I am getting comfy getting ready excited go okay his name was Timothy Ray Brown he contracted HIV in 1995 whilst studying in Berlin and for 10 years he took his HIV medication and he had no health complications so he just got on with his life but he started to feel tired and unwell and following a bone biopsy he was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia or AML and he started chemotherapy he had four rounds in total the third round made him so ill he had to be put into an induced coma but he recovered and just before his third round his doctor took a blood sample to send to a stem cell donor bank just in case he needed a transplant which is one of the options when you're dealing with this type of cancer now stem cell transfers are complex and often there are no matches so you've heard of stem cell transfers before or transplants yes so you have to find matches people who have the same kind of bone marrow or or blood type as you timothy's sample matched with 267 donors that's rare often when you're looking for a stem cell donor there are no matches at all so he was very lucky there were 267 and this gave dr huetta who's timothy's doctor an idea he wondered if any of the matches contained cd4 cells with a mutation called CCR5 Delta 32. Oh, your face. Where are the science glasses? These these goggles, they're not doing me justice. I'm putting the science ones back on. Okay, science glasses back on. Let's break that down. CD4 cells are the immune cells that the HIV virus inhabits. So when people are checked for HIV, when we're looking at their levels, you're looking at their viral load, how much of the virus is in their bloodstream, and you're looking at their CD4 cells. So how strong is their immune system? And we all have CD4 cells, don't we? We all have that. So yes, that's how all of our immune systems are measured. That's right. So we're all measured for our immune system in the same way. And the HIV virus jumps inside the CD4 cell, changes it to an HIV cell and replicates it. Scientists around the world, head in hands if they've heard that, because that's the most simplistic way of explaining it ever. But that's the way I understand it. Now, the mutation that I just mentioned, the CCR5 Delta 32, that makes a cell immune to HIV. So it makes the CD4 cell immune. It's the protein on the surface of the cell that acts as a doorway for the HIV virus to enter into it. So if you take away that doorway, the CD4 cells will not be infected and the person will not get HIV. So you know when we've heard about people, um, kind of elite controllers they're called, aren't they? Those are the people that have this mutation that means that the HIV cannot do the damage that it does to other people's immune cells. Oh, so obviously I understand what an elite controller is, but I didn't know the science behind why. So explaining that in terms of the doorway and it can't get in. Oh, this is um, learning lots. So what Timothy's doctor was looking for was someone with this mutation. In other words, someone who, if they contracted HIV, would quite possibly be able to live with it without ever taking medication. So that's what he's looking for, like a needle in a haystack. But his team found a donor with this mutation on the 61st 
attempt. So there's 260 odd people they found that match him in terms of being able to donate stem cells. And of that, the 61st blood sample they looked at had this mutation. So when you think about it, the odds of that happening are incredible. And I have to say, the one thing I really hadn't realised about Timothy's whole case was that they were actively looking for that. I I don't know why. I just assumed it was an accident that had happened where they hadn't realised the person was an elite controller and had just given bone marrow. And I wonder if actually many people thought that. I didn't realise they were actively looking for someone that was an elite controller. Yes. No, I didn't either. I thought it was an accident, but no, the doctor, I mean, he was incredible to think that could this work? Um, and the donor they found agreed to donate because that's the other thing they could have said, oh, no, I'm not going to donate this time. But they did. Should it be necessary? Because remember, at this point, the donor isn't needed. The transplant isn't going to happen. But they did mention to Timothy about doing the transplant. But he felt by that point, his leukemia had gone into remission. And he wasn't keen, um, understandably, to risk seeing if a stem cell transplant might have an impact on his HIV. I'm I would have made exactly the same decision. You know, you've been through chemotherapy, um, your cancer's gone into remission, your doctor says, shall we do a transplant? And you're just like, no, no, I've had enough. Yeah. Enough for me. Let's have a break. Yeah. I know I can understand that. So, I mean, yes, I would have made exactly the same decision. I completely understand why he chose to do that. But towards the end of 2006, the cancer came back and he was told he would need stem cell transfer to survive. The transplant took place on February the 6th, 2007, and they used the donor that they'd already identified with this mutation. With Dr. Huetta's agreement, Timothy stopped taking his HIV meds on the day of the transplant. So they needed to do this to see whether the stem cell transplant had any impact on the HIV cells. And of course, continuing with his meds would have made this very difficult to monitor because the medication is designed to contain the virus cells and stop them from replicating. So that must have felt quite risky, I suppose, to Timothy, because your HIV meds are the thing that's helping you stay healthy. It's a bit like jumping off a cliff and hoping there's a massive bouncy castle at the, you know bottom definitely so he um timothy's put lots of trust in his doctor and his doctor's thinking because you know he's not only battling cancer which is why he needs this procedure but then he's saying right okay don't take your hiv meds either so yeah huge huge leap of faith for him and his doctor must have been pretty certain that this would work to even contemplate doing it it's sort of i guess we're not really realizing all of the work that would have gone in behind the scenes all the research everything like you're saying they wouldn't just be like should we just should we just give it a go? Should we just give it a whirl? What do you yes. mean? <laughs> I don't think it's the hat. that's how they're making their decisions. No, I don't think any medical decisions are made like that, if I'm honest. <laughs> Let's hope not. I hope, yeah, I hope not. And highlights why we don't work in the medical profession. <laughs> yeah. Look at us discounting professions as we go through our podcast. No to sport, no to science and no to medicine. Just yes to podcasting. Yes, or yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so three months later, uh, there was no evidence of HIV in his blood. So he's had the transplant, he's not taken his HIV meds, uh, and there's no HIV in his blood samples. So he returned to work and his good health continued free of both HIV and leukemia. And that's just three months later. Mm. Wow. I know, it's amazing. That Christmas, the leukemia returned. And the doctors in Berlin decided a second transplant was needed from the same donor. So that happened in February 2008. But his recovery was very different this time. So he um, nearly went blind. He was almost paralysed. And that's because this time he had something called graft versus host disease. 
You've probably heard of it. It's when they I, donate- I definitely haven't. Oh, I mean, okay. I feel like has anyone? You know, I mean, you've probably heard of it. Clearly, <laughs> like no, I have not. Okay, it's when the donated bone marrow or peripheral blood stem cells view the recipient's body as foreign and then they attack the body. So this is a risk whenever you transplant any kind of organs that your body rejects them because it's just like, well, I don't, I don't recognise this liver or I don't recognise these kidneys. They know we're not, we're going to fight it. And he had that this time and it took him six years to fully recover. So he had to learn to walk again. That's how poorly he was. Wow. But throughout the time, he remained HIV negative, which I suppose... I mean, if I'm honest, sorry, I was going to say that's probably the least of his concerns at that point. I mean, amazing. But if you're almost going blind and you're unable to walk, you're having to relearn how to walk. You're probably like, I mean, great about the HIV, brilliant, but kind of got this other stuff going on. Absolutely. Yes. I think it would be the least of your worries, wouldn't it? Because you're at the start, he was fighting for survival. Now, medical scientists, they were taking an interest in the case. Of course, they were. And actually, not just scientists, but all medical professionals, the press. I mean, there was a lot of coverage worldwide. And also anyone who worked in in the HIV sector, because everybody knew about the Berlin patient and that they'd been cured. And everyone was very keen, of course, to know if there was a cure on the horizon. And during all this time, Timothy remained anonymous. Um, So he was referred to as the Berlin patient until 2010. And then he decided to waver his anonymity and his name and a picture of him were released to the press. Do we know why he why he changed his mind? Yes. Well, he did this because he didn't want to be known as the only person to be cured of HIV. He said at the time, I want other HIV patients to join my club. And he was keen to do anything he could to help find a cure. So that meant lots of tests, constant monitoring. He participated in patient studies clinical trials. By this time, he'd moved back to America. So he he was being interviewed by lots of press, lots of different publications. And it must have been quite pressurised because he's constantly being reviewed to see if the HIV has returned. He knows that the hope of millions of people affected by HIV rests on his shoulders. And, you know, I hope he didn't feel the weight of that responsibility because he could easily have kept his anonymity and lived a much quieter life. Yes. Yeah. I mean, revealing your identity comes with lots of positives, but also, like you're saying, a huge amount of pressure. What a difficult decision to make. Oh, I think so. Definitely. Definitely. And to know that everybody is watching you to see if the HIV returns. When you think what he's been through with the cancer and the transplants. And I mean, as I said, it would have been far easier to just withdraw from everything and and just be like, yes, I was lucky. I got cured. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that he chose to um, come out, as it were, though, and, and say who he was. Because we know so much more about him. We know more of his story. We know what he looks like now. It just makes it more relatable, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, he went on to form the Timothy Ray Brown Foundation in 2012, and the aim of which was to support scientists and medical professionals to continue their quest for a cure. And he spoke at conferences. You mentioned we've seen him at the International AIDS Conference in Amsterdam. And that's kind of the theme for the rest of his life. He just continued to support those affected by HIV by doing anything he could to help with scientific progress 
towards a cure. He's basically just giving his body up and saying, look, you know, use me. It's worked for me. Use me to help others, which is amazing. Totally selfless. Now, in September 2020, he lost his fight with leukemia. Um, It had returned again in 2019 and he passed away in California on the 29th of September, aged 54. And it's so sad because he's a medical miracle, really, isn't he? He really is. Yeah. I mean, he's so well known. Some people might not have heard of him, but he's so well known in our in our industry, isn't he? The Berlin patient. Maybe people don't know his name, Timothy Brown, but we all know the Berlin patient. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we do. Now, there was another person who was cured of HIV in a similar way, and he was initially known as the London patient. So this is the second person to be cured. Uh, He later wavered his anonymity. His name is Adam Castillo, as always. Apologies for the pronunciation. Now, he received a bone marrow transplant to treat a different type of cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma, but he was given weaker immunosuppressive drugs. The selected donor also carried the CCR5 mutation. And do we know if the the medical professionals that were doing this transplant knew that the donor was an elite controller? So was this another similar situation where that's what they were looking for? Yeah, yes. I'm like, I literally can't believe I keep thinking these are just accidents. Oh. It's so, I feel so bad. This is a massive apology to anyone that worked within that because I can't believe that I'm just like, they're just bumbling along and it's just a a brilliant, you know, serendipitous situation. And you're like, no, no, this is what they're aiming for. That's amazing. Yes. No, they're not flukes that just happen. They they are planned um, and based on the kind of scientific evidence and material that's that's preceded them. So they, they went into this knowing what they were doing. Um, and actually, there's a case that was in the news last week, wasn't there? there was a lady in uh, South America who, again, is anonymous, again, has been cured. I don't know the details behind that, but I imagine it builds on cases previously like the Berlin patient. Yes. Yeah, I know. I saw that. We don't. Yeah, no, we don't know tons of details at the moment because that news story just broke last week. So, so I was thinking uh, we couldn't do an episode for the Berlin patient without looking at um, where we are in terms of a cure for HIV, because, you know, that still is very much on, on the horizon. And I was thinking, well, you know, if you can cure people by using stem cell transplants, just do that for everyone. It's how awful my scientific brain is. I'm like, yes, let's let's do this and we'll cure everyone. But of course, there are reasons why they can't do this. So the first is because of graft versus host disease. I mean, that can be deadly. It nearly killed Timothy. And they're complex. It's really, really major surgery and it's not always successful. And then, of course, the other reason is that the mutant cells needed to make the procedure successful are very, very rare. There aren't that many stem cell donors in the world anyway. So there aren't those, there just wouldn't be enough donors to treat everyone with HIV. So it's never going to be an avenue that that they go down for everyone affected by HIV. But if we're looking at where we are in terms of finding a cure, well, I have looked on um, Avert's website. Avert is an absolutely amazing website for anything to do with HIV. Um, And they've got a great page about where we are in terms of working towards a cure. And they explain everything so well. I felt very sciencey after I'd read through it. So they talk about two different approaches that are being taken. One is called a functional cure. And one is called a sterilising cure. So it's going to get a bit sciencey, 
you've got the right glasses on, but let's go for it. So a functional cure is where the amount of HIV in the body is reduced to such low levels that it can't be detected. So anyone taking HIV medication can achieve this, right? It's what we know as being undetectable. And when someone's undetectable, they can't pass the virus on to anybody else. But scientists are looking beyond that at a true functional cure. In other words, something that would suppress the virus without the need to take medication for the rest of their life. Makes perfect sense. That really does. <laughs> oh no, the bush baby eyes are back. Look at him with three glasses on. <laughs> No, I've just got the silence goggles. Oh, wow. Well, that would be amazing. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? It would be. So that's one theme that they're looking at. Then the other theme, um, it's called a sterilizing cure. And they're looking at how to eradicate HIV from the body completely, which is what happened to Timothy Brown and Adam Castelio. And we've said that approach currently relies on a bone marrow or stem cell transplant from someone who is genetically resistant to HIV. So they're looking for something that can replicate that process process but less invasively. Now Revert says on their website a functional cure seems the more likely option because it's slightly less complicated. So they could either look at something that they're calling activate and eradicate or sometimes known as shock and kill which aims to flush the virus out of its reservoirs and then kill any cell it infects or they could look at gene editing, changing immune cells so they can't be infected by HIV or they could look at something called immune modulation permanently changing the immune system to better fight HIV. So the reason for me telling you all of this is to kind of highlight there is no cure at the moment, but there is so much work taking place to work towards a cure in the future. They are leaving no stone unturned in trying to find out how we can eradicate this virus once and for all. That's amazing. And I have to say, I know I said amazing and I always say it, but it is. But just to know, because I don't actually think we talk enough about what's happening medically to to move forward in terms of a cure or eradicating HIV. So this is so fascinating. And I think it's so important that we do shine a spotlight on this from time to time. You know, we're so caught up in just day-to-day life, aren't we? I think it's nice for people to know how much work is happening behind the scenes. I think so, definitely. And I know, you know, we've had service users say to us in the past, they'll never find a cure for HIV because uh, the drug companies make so much money. That is a massive theme that we hear isn't it yes and I say that this episode highlights that there is work going on but HIV is a really complex virus and you know it's not going we're not going to find a cure overnight yeah but they are working towards it and that's all you can ask really isn't it you know people are giving this their attention and they are looking at every avenue they can to kind of eradicate this and get rid of it. They're also working towards an HIV vaccine. So at the moment, a vaccine would only be kind of partially effective and it would have to be used in conjunction with other preventative options. But they are working. Oxford University started the trial in July. But there's work being done elsewhere, as there always is. Lots of countries are looking at this. So the Oxford trial involves 13 healthy HIV negative adults um, considered not to be at high risk of infection. They'll receive one dose of the vaccine followed by a booster at four weeks. And it's the first in a series of evaluations of this novel vaccine strategy in both HIV negative individuals for prevention and people living with HIV for a cure. Now, it's only the first step. The trial results uh, will be reported early next year. But again, progress is being made. Yeah. to look at how a vaccine could help. Yeah, that's um, oh, awesome. I know. And, you know, in the meantime, we have PrEP, 
medication that prevents people from contracting HIV. We have PEP for those who may have been exposed to HIV. So, I mean, I think there's going to be big progress towards a cure in the next few years. I hope so. This sounds very promising. I'm very excited. I know. I'm so sorry. I'm also going to apologise for my dog who's been joining in for the last few moments, everybody. These are the pitfalls of, you know, having pets. Oh, I like to think he's very appreciative of all the work. He's excited, isn't he? He's enthusiastic for World AIDS Day and he is extremely excited about the progress towards a cure. No, it is amazing. And I love to hear how we are moving forward in this field. It's, It's just brilliant. What a good episode for World AIDS Day. Only number two, Sarah. There's another one. There is. Well, I look forward to it. I'm looking forward to another pair of glasses. I might just keep the science ones. We'll see. We'll see. But I will see you later for episode number three, World AIDS Day. Thank you so much for the Timothy Brown HIV Heroes episode. See you later. Thank you for listening to HIV Hope and Charity. If you'd like to know more about the work that we do, visit tvps.org.uk. And please like, subscribe and rate the podcast if you enjoyed it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.